Hi, and welcome to this week's Three Legs, Four Wheels F1 podcast. It's Paul here with... Dan, Chris, Lee, and some new technology as well. New technology. Hello, new, new, new microphones, new mixing desk. It's all Do very we... shiny. Yeah, is, does, this For count, now. does this officially count as our pre-season testing then? No, no. no um, she, she's had some pretty vigorous work over the weekend. Well, Lee might have already used this new equipment. Yeah. Your 97,000 other shows. Mm, about that. But in, enough of that. F1. Yes. Um, well, there's not a great deal going on, is there? It's the off-season, that's why. I knew I was missing something on the weekend. It's the off-season and it's the run-up to Christmas. But we did mm. have some Monday news. A little bit of Monday news. That we did. A little bit on the new tyre regs for next year. Don't want to spend too long on it because they've been simplified. Oh, actually, no, there's... There's some proper news. Proper news. Lewis Hamilton is officially World Formula One Drivers' Champion. Oh, yes, it was the prize giving last yeah. week. Yeah, which is when he's actually officially champion. The yeah. So there, uh, you hear, yeah. heard it here first. Uh, other, other Kimi Raikkonen enjoyed it. Yeah, well, I was just going to say, other news, Kimi Raikkonen, uh, Raikkonen on licensed premises ended up pissed. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and talking the ear off of a young Mick Schumacher. Those things. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I did have to um, send details to one of our American listeners of how to obtain the Kimi Raikkonen endorsed heart wall long drink in the US, mm. because obviously he wants to try that Kimi effect. Iceman long drink. Yeah, it's just, it's just called heart wall long drink now, okay. or in America it's now original original long drink. Okay. Do you know what? I genuinely thought the pictures of um, Vettel talking the ear off for people, I thought he was talking to Vettel. Oh no, he was he was talking to Vettel at one point. Um, but it looked yeah, like he was trying to tell a joke. Man. But at one point, he had his arm around Mick Schumacher, and Mick Schumacher was just nodding like, "Yes, please go away from me, strange oh. man." <laughs> they all look. They all look <laughs> the same. No, Vettel's got a moustache. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure what's going on with that. November finished ten days ago. I think it must be a tribute to Nigel Mansell because he is quite a, a Nigel Mansell fan. He, he likes Nigel Mansell a lot. Yeah, possibly, possibly. Other moustaches are available. Charlie Chaplin's. I, I, that's gone out of fashion. I like the idea that he's trolling charity. It's like, so now November's gone. He's like, yeah, look what I could have done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about uh, we'll tyres instead. So um, Pirelli have released the tyre compound choices for the first four races of 2019. Yeah. And everything is now simpler because we will see only three colours during the course of a weekend. Good. White the, for the hard. White for the hard. Um, yellow, yellow for the medium, and red for the soft. There are back to 1997. It is but pretty much. There are five different compounds labeled C1 to C5. No, C5 not. being there's the softest. Yeah, White, we yellow, need... and red. Yeah, but we, we you might get to see it on a, on a graphic, I suppose. Like the one that Pirelli put out yeah. by saying that um, which of the compounds is going to be which tire. You'll yeah. only see three colours on a weekend, but it'll still be three out of five tyres that get used. Yeah, hard, medium, and soft. Yeah. Yeah. I suggest to people that they pay fuck all attention to that thing. Yeah, so and... Just remember, white is hard, yeah. red is soft, yeah. yellow is medium. Yeah. But the new tyre regulations that have come in and tyre use rules, um, they've changed a bit. Yeah. Um, it's going to be that the hard and the medium are the race tyres. And one set of each must be used by all teams during the race. And the soft is going to be the qualifying tyre. For the teams that get into the top 10, they... That's Q3 then. Yeah, for Q3. The teams that get into Q3 will have to return a set of softs that they used in Q3. Return them? Return them back to Pirelli. For the 10 other drivers that didn't get into Q3, they get an extra set 
of the soft tyres effectively to use during the race should they want. So, so you've got to use hard, you've got to use medium. And, and if, you're, if out, you're not in the top 10, you can use soft as well. If so you, you could if you want stop to do and a, use the soft stop. Yeah. yeah. Does that make things harder or easier to get your head? It's slightly convoluted, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure they've simplified those rules. They've simplified the the colours of the tyres. The compounds, yeah, they simplified. There's only five compounds available instead of the seven that there were last so year. So basically you get tyre tokens now. Yeah, but <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> I thought the engine tokens was hard enough to get me head round. It was the bloody fucking fuel tokens. That was the worst token manoeuvre where you got fuel credits back. Oh, um, yeah, the, oh, look, they're lapping now. Well, who's going to pit first and go for it? Yeah. You got an adjusted time back. It's like, oh, well, Jensen Button's fifth, but technically, if you take all the fuel out, he had 10 laps extra fuel on board in his brawn. <laughs> hmm. Or I like to call it the glory days of my life. <laughs> <laughs> Just that one year. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to make things more tactical. We were talking about this before we started recording. It's, is it going to be where... If you think you're only going to be fast enough to qualify in tenth, do you just back out of um, back out of it in Q two and finish eleventh? So yeah, it's eleventh. It's now the it best place to on the circuit. Yeah, I, I, you can't. I don't think you can guarantee coming eleventh, can you? That's the issue. No, but I mean, you know, eleventh, twelfth. Is that is that is that the best place to be? Because then you've got an option of of um, you know using the faster race tire at some point. Whereas the no, majority if, of cars ahead of you won't have that. If it's a one stop circuit. And you've got to use the hard, and you've got to use the medium. You've got to use two compounds. Oh, you've got to use two compounds. Yeah, you can. You can go medium oh, okay. and soft or hard and right. soft. Yeah. Yep. Definitely simplified the yeah, rules. Yeah, I suppose the only thing to think here is the my brain hurts. The guys in the top ten will be on the soft compound anyway, but it won't be new. They'll have had a lap on them. Yeah. So generally, if yeah, because they'll be they'll just like now it'll be they'll I think they've still kept the rule where you have to use the, the tires to start the race. On. That you set your fastest lap in Q2 on if yeah. you're in the top 10. Yeah. So generally, if you're 11th, um, you go onto the harder tyre anyway if you're going to try and throw some, do something clever and run longer. So is it, has it actually helped anyone? We shall see. I mean, <laughs> I mean it's, they say that it's been made simpler so that everyone understands that there are. Three tyre compounds. Yeah, everyone rather than the, the it was getting seven, a bit daft yeah. with oh, the ultra hard to ultra soft, and they never saw the ultra hard. Oh, was it super hard? A hyper soft. Uh, we had uh, you see, I think you know super it, hard and ultra so- and, and hyper soft, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I had super hard, hard, mediums, which were nowhere near the middle, super soft. Uh, sorry, mediums, soft, which were which soft. were the mediums. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> super soft. Ultra soft, hyper soft. Yeah. So at some races, the super soft was the hardest tire. Yeah, which was no, that made no sense at all. It wasn't used in the race at Monaco because it was too hard. I do. I just don't believe. I know every circuit's different, the weather's different, all that sort of stuff. I don't believe a tire manufacturer can't be told we need three compounds of tires, and then you take those to the circuit, and then the the teams get told this is what it is. This is what your pressures have to be for this, for, you know, for these tires. I don't believe that we can't just get away with a hard, medium, and soft. And oh, you mean the the same, the tire, same, the same, compound. the same tire, regardless yeah. of whether you're at Monaco yeah. or you're at Silverstone. Because I, I fucking surely back in um, like 1992 or something like that, 
when we did just have soft, medium, and hards. No, it was just softs, softs and hards. I think softs that was and it. hards. Yeah. Softs, hards, and qualifying. I yeah. can't, I can't remember there being or like a myriad of fucking different types of soft compound. No, the well, way they didn't tell us about that sort of stuff. Maybe not. I mean, you weren't all you knew them was you weren't allowed to use the qualifying tires, which were really soft. Yeah, chewing you weren't allowed, Yeah, you weren't allowed to use them for the racing. Although on um, on the MicroPros F1 manager game, it did let you. You just had to make many pit stops. Yes. Yeah, it, it didn't go well. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, if Pirelli are trying to simplify things. I mean, we'll we'll see how it goes. I mean, we should we should be due the um, the announcements on what uh, what the team's going to be using in Australia because um, with it being a flyaway race, they've got fourteen. Got to give the um, information within fourteen weeks. And the good news is it's less than fourteen weeks. Yeah. Only just, but so we'll find out the first tyre choices soon, which as we're scrabbling for off season news. It's usually just after January, isn't it? We usually get this sort of stuff. Usually just after the new year, I think, when all the because everybody goes back to work in Formula One in the new year, don't they? Yeah. So it seems unfair to make them choose the tires before the regulations have been finalised. Yeah, it does it a does, little bit. Yeah. Because of course you know there are gonna be new regulations coming in for 2019, which we will Suppose discuss. everyone's in the same boat. Yeah. Mm, that is true. Um, anything anything else going on around F1 that we've noticed? Uh, Andreas Seidel is joining McLaren. Now, he was or he was offered the job of head of Porsche Motorsport. He was, I think he was the head of the Formula E team in, um, that was going into, sorry, the head of the team that was going into Formula E. But he was given the offer the job ahead of ahead of all of Porsche Motorsport, but he's actually taken a job at McLaren Formula One team. Mm. Don't ask me why. I've no idea, and I don't know what job he's going into. Is it Eric Boulier's old position? I think it might be. Yeah, eater of cakes, eater of cake, well, maker of, maker of excuses, giver of answers that aren't really answers. I don't think he's. Uh, I don't think he really. Needs to make excuses, does he just yet? If if McLaren gets somebody in to make excuses, that doesn't bode well, does it? Not really. Because didn't McLaren just restructure everything so that they didn't need that Eric Boulier rule uh, role? Or was is the role still there? And it was Eric Boulier falling on his sword for the wor- just about the worst year in the uh, in the team's history. No, I think they uh, I think they definitely restructured. Which meant that that role wasn't available, so it's a bit. A bit I, thought, confusing. I thought the whole idea was to stop it being so compartmentalized, wasn't it? Yeah, to make it and now they've clearer. got you know, McLaren have pulled in all these people from everywhere, like obviously James Key coming in is going to be a technical um, sort of director of some description. Um, you got a head of error like um, like um, what's his name, uh, Peter Pedromu. Yeah, uh, and you've got. Um, Gilda Ferran running the racing side of things. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, having another... Uh, Zach Brown, of course, is the head of the whole thing. Yeah. But and Bob, have, Bob Fernley running the IndyCar programme. Yeah, which, of course, is completely separate to the Formula One. But it just seems very... Too many chiefs. Do you know what I mean? You know, they're going to ruin it by having too many bosses. Yeah, it's top-weighted management structure. Yeah. Which never ends well. No, um, well, it certainly hasn't done for McLaren under the uh, under the current regime. No, maybe they need Ron back just as ov- overall boss and micromanager in chief. I've definitely thought that. Like, there seems to be something that's missing with McLaren, and I can't help think that maybe you see. Let, let's just say you've got all these um, people that are used to the um, 
micromanagement of Ron Dennis. Yeah. yeah. That, so those people are used to working in that way. So when somebody comes in and it's not quite as on top of you all the time, that's a way for people to start falling back. Falling back. Yeah. Um, it, it not c- deliberately, just because their work ethics changed. Yeah, yeah I mean, the day, the days of... You'd never get Ron Dennis handing out Fredo bars, let's put it that way. No. Well, I, I was amazed... Not I, This isn't another fucking opportunity to say that we went to McLaren. <laughs> but as a painter and decorator... I was amazed how scruffy some of the decorating was in there. And it just didn't, to me, that didn't seem very McLaren-y. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Despite the fact you had to walk down a disinfecting corridor to get into the place. Yeah, the corridor was there, but like all around the... Um, but in the meeting room, there was... It wasn't yeah, it's as perfect. around the lifts and stuff like that. You know, there's hand, a couple of handprints here and there. Really? Like scrapes so on walls? Stuff st- like... Where people have been carrying boxes and marked yeah, walls and... Stuff sh- that most people would just walk walk through and see, but stuff that like, a painter like myself definitely You notice. Goes, yeah, yeah, that... Although, although the, main thing, the main thing that um, you did notice, which was a very McLaren thing, was as soon as we walked out the lift, a cleaner went in and uh, refluffed the pile oh, on the carpet yeah, where yeah. we'd been stood on it. Yeah, and, and cleaned the lift. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it was you when we came came through the glass lift tube and you saw the um, you saw the 2017 car and oh fuck off! <laughs> 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 you know nice. the, the the real the real sort of McLaren how they run the office thing you see in the opening titles to the first episode of Grand Prix Driver where they've got the carbon fiber board that. Um, measures the spaces between chairs in the boardroom yeah. to make sure that it's all uniform. That that's the McLaren that wins, well, whatever it turns its hand to, right. not the current McLaren that lets us in. Actually, the funniest thing about that that whole trip was Bambi on ice trying to get a glass of water. <laughs> that was. It the, wasn't a glass of we water. Were, it was a coffee. We were in the quietest place in the world, mainly because all. 10, Born 12 of us that were in over. there were absolutely so, terrified. Excuse me. If you can imagine being in a glass house with a glass bar, with a table with many glasses on it. Pour lots of all over. With glass bottles to make said drinks with. And then you decide to make yourself a cocktail with a hammer. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing, the thing was, I was, I was picking up something that there was condensation. And, it's, of... and it, it stuck to the salsa. Oh, I, I, I'm quite with you. It was a very nervous day. There was some handshaking going on. I saw that. I was shaking as well. I wanted a glass of water. wasn't wasn't brave enough to go and get one. <laughs> so you were a step ahead of me immediately. <laughs> but I saw the potential pitfalls. <laughs> and I fell down that pit. But anyway. Formula One. Seidel has joined McLaren. We don't know where he's going. What job is is he's doing? Exactly. This might be a good thing, or it might not. <laughs> it's McLaren. You can um, you can never tell. Um, Lewis Hamilton's been pulled up for riding a motorbike too fast. Pulled uh, up at the Hereth test. At the Hereth superbike test. Yeah, where he was testing one of his own. Where he was bikes. testing one of his own bikes and, and um, seeing how fast he could ride it. Yeah, and, and dropped it into a gravel trap. But when he wasn't dropping it into a gravel trap, um, he was told that he was uh, riding a little bit too fast to be safe. So could he slow down a bit? And that's when he crashed. Um, he probably crashed when he was going too slow. Yeah, this is the thing. He asked people to slow down. Let 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 them do what they want to do at their own comfortable pace. I think there's more than more than enough people that would be. Who in told act. Lewis Hamilton to slow down? Was this, was this man's name was just like hello? I'm Spanish George Lawrence. 
No, what <laughs> happened was he was tearing around a track and a bike, and some, some people were having a conversation, and a guy sidled up to one of the Mercedes guys and said, so what do you think about Cubitza coming back after eight years and going, eight fucking years, slow down. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> you might. No, apparently it was... You might um, have a point. Apparently it was uh, Michael Vandermark who rides in World Superbikes for the factory Yamaha team. He said, slow down, I don't want you taking my seat. Probably. Seeing as Lewis Hamilton just happens to have a Yamaha Superbike kicking about in his garage. He's also got do. a limited edition M- as an MV Augusta, Lewis Hamilton yeah. edition. Yeah. Nice work if you I, can get I don't it. know if he's got one of them, but that you it's could, got his you name on. You can purchase one, can't you, with LH44 on it. Yeah, for ridiculously huge amounts of money. I'm almost convinced that if there's anything you want now with 44 on it and an LH somewhere, you can probably get it. Just to make it yourself. You you may get sued if you try and sell it, but (laughs) then again, have a a look at Etsy.com. There's all kinds of stuff on there that's... uh, Oh, you're, you're, Chris, Chris is now making a pack of LH44 biscuits. Well, but, I was going to. The pen but the doesn't pen work. doesn't write on the biscuit wrapper. <laughs> I've had an idea. I've had an idea. Seeing as there's not a lot of F1 news about, shall we have a jump cut and a guest? Why Sounds not? like a yeah, good, good idea. idea. That is, that so, is a good Someone plan. who knows what they're talking about. It's guest time. For the second week on the trot, we have a guest, and uh, here's a jump cut. Well, as it's the winter and uh, there aren't any more F1 races to talk about until March, we thought... We'll get some, we'll get some guests, and uh, we are joined this week by Craig Scarborough. Our can we call you resident technical expert now? I think so. I I, I think I'm an honorary guest now that can be started as Isle of Man resident. Yes, thank you for <laughs> But not for tax purposes. No. Oh no no no! I don't earn any money to pay tax, so that's not a problem. Would you like to, <laughs> would you like to buy a jet? <laughs> yeah, apparently, apparently there's uh, plenty of spaces at the airport to spare. Well, yeah. <laughs> So, um, first question is, Craig, uh, 2018 season's finished. What were your opinions? It's the usual start with a broad question. It was, it was, it was a slightly odd season, wasn't it, really? I mean, it was, uh, there wasn't much in the, the regulations that was sort of changing on the technical side. So, you know, you would have expected some people to come up with some, you know, maybe some more, more radical ideas as the year went on to separate them from each other. But really, it was a year where... Everyone kind of was converging on the same sort of ideas. Um, there was lots of uh, are they, aren't they sort of technical um, rumours going around, a lot of which never really kind of um, came through in terms of, you know, what are Ferrari doing with the engine, what are Mercedes doing with the engine. And really most of the talk through the year revolved very much around the, you know, the Ferrari and the Mercedes uh, battle. Uh, Red Bull were obviously there or thereabouts, but never really enough through the year to kind of pick up on the radar much more until the sort of the last few races. Um, but probably in terms of a, being a, a fan this year, I think the most fascinating thing was the midfield, which um, gave, you know, all of the results of the promise that we had <laughs> over the winter. It's like everyone's going to be really close and it didn't pan out how we expected in terms of who ended up where, uh, not least because of Force India's um, sort of odd switch mid-season. Yeah. But uh, that midfield season uh, battle this year was very much what I think we, we kind of made the season for me this year because I think the rest of it was kind of not dull, but didn't deliver on some of the punch that perhaps we were expecting. Um, yeah, I think I can I can definitely see that. Um, I mean, the, the main... 
the main thing this year was um, certainly certainly with the midfield. It was def- definitely a closer battle. I mean, Force India had the results to finish fourth if you had both teams together and yeah. be best of the rest. But um, Hulkenberg actually managing to get a Renault to um, seventh in the Drivers' Championship standings was that was a, that was a surprise. Yeah, so winning the Formula One point five trophy. It is, and I think that was you know the, the the promise that Renault have been sort of making noises about for the past couple of years is that you know, you know we're kind of we're back, we're really going to put the effort in, and um, you know we saw it a bit at the end of last season where they really started to come quite strong, and you know at points throughout this year. Uh, again, they look very strong, and we're starting to look like you know that team that should be pushing forth in the championship, that should be you know grabbing those places off of um, you know Ferrari, Red Bull, and Mercedes uh, you know in the races. So I think some of that promises there, but it just wasn't the thing I kind of lacked with with any of the midfield teams that no one was that consistent that they were you know like the de facto next team. Um, Force India were kind of there, particularly in the second half of the year, once they got their money problems sorted out. Haas started off very strongly and um, you know, kind of had that mid-season dip, didn't they, for all sorts of reasons. And then, you know, a few points taken off them from Monza and they never really quite recovered the, the overall season. But then you had like Sauber, which, you know, we'd all had banked on being the team that were going to be at the back, you know, particularly in qualifying, which is showing to be very strong. And, you know, by the season's end, we're, you know, we're, we're really amongst those those other top teams, which, you know, obviously, again, as we, we every time we talk, we then come around to the McLarens and the Williams and sort of our shoulders slope a little bit and go, well, yeah, um, <laughs> what are they doing back at that end of the grid? Yeah. Yeah, McLaren seemed to have um, finally found out what the problem was with this year's car now, which, seen as we're in December... Yeah, there were some very strange comments, wasn't there? It's um, one of these where we knew what the problem was, but it was that we needed a new chassis to fix it, which I, I don't understand um, and is, is particularly worrying because I can't think of an aero problem that re- would require a new chassis and not something you couldn't get away from by modifying other parts. But, you know, I, I think, again, there's there's kind of the, the symptom, there's the cause and there's the root cause. Um, the symptom obviously was patently obvious to all of us that the car was just awful. Um, the, you know, the, uh, the cause was whatever this chassis aero thing was, but I think the root cause still goes much deeper than that at McLaren. And I don't know if they've actually got the, uh, the, the, the self-awareness or maybe perhaps even the honesty just to say, look, this is really where we're going wrong at the management level. And that's, um, you know, really is what's causing all of these problems. It's not the fact that we, you know, made a miscalculation with the with the aero or with the chassis or what have you. Um, and I, I think Williams are another team that are, are in that situation. But, um, you know, perhaps in Williams' defence, you can see some changes that happened towards the end of last year in terms of um, sponsorship, drivers and management and uh, people interfering that hopefully will mean that Williams can, you know, recover that sort of managerial issue that they've got and can make a bit more of a recovery next year. Do you yeah. think with having um, George Russell in now that there's Mercedes might help them out a little bit more? Um, no. Um, and that's that, That's not to be um, sort of dismissive of, uh, of Mercedes, certainly, because they would, would be able to. But 
I think I, I think with, with Paddy Lowe and um, you know independent finances and letting the team you know the, the engineers get on with the job um, is all that Williams really needed. Um, and I think they're going that direction now. I don't think necessarily that they need Mercedes input. Um, you know, George Russell, again, you know, clearly a fantastic driver. And I've had people tipping him to me as a, you know, the next big thing for many years. Uh, you know, I'm far from a, a driver expert, as you know. But uh, <laughs> I, I think I think there's more things lining up for, for, for Williams to, to give us the, uh, the hope that there's the potential to improve in 2019 uh, compared perhaps with McLaren, who, um, again, you just you just don't see that, that that ship turning around anytime soon. It, it surprises me what you're saying about Williams a little bit, because it looks from the outside like what saved Sauber was Ferrari coming along with their money and their input, and that really seems to have turned things around for them. So wouldn't the same happen for Williams? Um, yes. Um, I mean, I think you know, the money is obviously the key thing. Uh, and being allowed to spend the money as you know the experts at the team uh, see fit, rather than being perhaps guided by um, some external factors. Um, uh, how much Ferrari aided Sauber directly is it, it's one of those very difficult questions. You know, we're never quite sure who Ferrari's favourite son is. Was it Haas this year? Because obviously, it was lots of noise about that earlier this season. Is it? Um, is it Sauber? Um, I, I think Sauber's biggest change would be, again, the money, which which always allows a small team to improve. But then you've got the management there. When you see, you know, you've got Simone Resta, you've got obviously Freddie Vasseur, who really, I mean, when you hear some of the, the anecdotes of what he's been doing uh, at the factory, you realise that has, you know, has become a very sharply managed team. And that makes all the difference, um, you know, at any end of the grid. Um, you know, when, when the, the management team get a little bit um, lazy, let things start to slide, as you, know, as you see with other teams, um, that's when the performance starts to go away because, you know, it's, it, it's how you manage a team. You know, you probably could compare every engineer between every team, and I don't think you would end up saying oh, Team X has got you know, the best engineers. I think all the engineers are probably all of a very good standard. But how they're managed and how they get the money to do what they feel they need to do is really the kind of the crux of what makes uh, an F1 team work really well. And I think Force India have been the example there of you know a team that know exactly how to do that. You know, year on year now, and even through you know the the issues that they had through this year, you know you can see that that you know the force injury in terms of um, how the engineering side of the team was run, how its strategy was run, maybe some of the driver management issues started to cloud things. Um, again, not a conversation I want to get involved in, you know Perez and Ocon, but um, yeah, you know you see that the management there are the people that are actually getting the you know, helping getting the job done. So I think that's what's critical. I think that's perhaps what could be lacking at, at McLaren. It'll be interesting to see what uh, Force India can do with some financial backing now as well. Well, yes. I mean, um, I don't want to sort of go straight in with the name dropping, but um, you know, back at the Spanish Grand Prix, I, I spoke to lots of the midfield teams for a magazine article that I was doing, and I spoke to Andy Green at Force India. And, you know, kind of the, the, the blunt opening question is, you know, there there is only the top two, three teams, a massive chasm 
and then everyone else is locked in a midfield and no one seems to be jumping the gap. What do you need to do that? And Andy Green was blunt and he says, you know, sort of 300 engineers and uh, 150 million pounds. Um, and, you know, those sort of numbers are being banded around by, you know, the strolls and the people that are now investing into Force India. And they're talking about, you know, a bigger factory, more people. So if they can get that and if they can keep their management ethos without being you know distracted and doing exactly what they do best you you know you can see force india starting to maybe step away from the midfield and being the de facto fourth team whether they can close all the way up towards the top three i mean i think that you know certainly in in a year or so that's too big a gap to be jumped but i think of all of the teams they're the ones that have got that potential to start to go that direction I mean, the one thing about Force India in 2019 will be we'll actually get to find out the truth about Lance Stroll. Um, is is he as good as his results in lower formula should now that he's going to have a really good quality car underneath him? And a quality teammate. And a quality teammate. Yeah, it's going to be interesting, isn't it? You know, um, you know there, was, there was times, maybe not so much this year, but certainly last year, that he really surprised me. Um, again, you know, I'm no, I'm no judge of driver, but you see, you know, I think Monza was one of the classics, wasn't it? Maybe Azerbaijan might be on one of the other ones. A bit very straight liney kind of tracks, but he did put some very mature performances in. So, you know, he's not a complete goon behind the wheel. He knows he's got the maturity to get it all together and get, to get it to work on the day. So, yeah, you know, may, may, maybe he is, you know, I mean, obviously Williams has been a very tough tough environment for any driver and i think sorokin is a you know a, a litmus test for that as well so yeah you know stroll could be could be a lot better than maybe a lot of us you know rather flippantly give him credit for but um yeah it's um it, it's a big year for for him and for the team next year because you know i think they've got that that potential to make a step yeah, but it's 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 come down to really we've had two bad cars on the grid this year and potentially it's ruined two f1 drivers careers um, with Van Dorn leaving McLaren as well. Um, yeah. It, you know, it, I think it, it shows just the the gap in quality between Van Dorn and Alonso for how they performed over the season with the same hardware underneath them. Um, but that's not to the detriment of Van Dorn because he'd done enough on merit to be in Formula One. It's, mm-hmm. ju- it's just that um, he was... The only way to describe it is let down by a really, really spectacularly bad car. Yeah. And I mean, you know, that's that's sadly, that's the way that the driver market could go in Formula One. You know, even just down to one bad performance can be enough to uh, wreck your um, wreck your career, literally, or certainly wreck your season. And um, yeah, I mean, I think you know, the word let down is probably the right word for um, Van Dorn and McLaren. And, um, you know, again, I think it's very much you know, McLaren's problem and not not necessarily Van Dorn's. Um but, um, you know, when you've got someone like Alonso that is, you know, just such, I, I want to use the word professional, but I know in lots of ways that he comes across that he isn't, but in terms <laughs> of you know, driving and his work ethos, I mean, you know, there's lots that we can be critical of him. Relentless, he's, a better word. His <laughs> <laughs> he's ability just to get that car going, um, you know, in quality and in the races, um, you know, he surpasses, you know, probably what anyone else on the grid possibly could have done with that car uh, this year. Um, so it's a very bad, you know, bad person to be racing against. But um, yeah, I think Bandon's been a little bit hard done by. Um, but uh, as we've seen, you know, people can bounce back from bad years. 
um, by going away and coming back, maybe with you know, with the right car, with the right mindset, um, a bit more maturity, um, and uh, you know, succeed again. So I don't think it's the last we'll see of him because I think you know, I think he is a driver that's got some quality about him. Um, we'll, we'll be watching him this weekend in Formula E. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, the, um, um, you know, that's that, that's a big step for for any driver to go back because it's a very different and you have to be a very a very adaptable driver and um again you know it'll be interesting to see whether he can cope with that change you've got people like massa there potentially as well that have got that change to cope with and i don't know if uh, you know necessarily all of those drivers are have got that ability to do something very different particularly sadly massa is obviously at a different stage of his career in his life um, whether he can step up to the uh, rather odd challenge of, of racing electric cars yeah, with three points finishes in like the, the three double points finishes, I think it was in the first four races of, of twenty eighteen. It looked like McLaren were actually going to turn some, uh, turn their season around, but the um, the development just seemed to stop. Well, Fernando Alonso publicly said, didn't he? There was no development on the car after Spain. How true was that? And what, you know, where did McLaren put their development if they weren't putting it on the car? Uh, well, I mean, I think I think Alonso's comment maybe is probably a little bit sharper than um, <laughs> the truth, but certainly, I mean, you know, we've we've been used to really development through the season, uh, throwing lots of parts on the car, changing concepts, you know, big things like front wing concepts through the year, and we just didn't see that this year, um, and that's you know, it's, it's very strange, and it kind of goes back to these comments that you know there was something fundamental with the car. Um, again, which uh, I, I think maybe to do with the, the, the way they set up the car with rake and, and, and weight shift and what have you. But yeah, I mean, McLaren, I don't know what, I frankly don't know what they were doing this year. Um, you know, they squandered the the performance of the Renault engine. Um, and, you know, this got the, the, this, the talent of the drivers was squandered. Um, so I don't understand. Again, when you look at the, the, the level of engineers that they've got working there, um, you know, they're, you know, Pete Prod's still there. I think the problem they've had is they kind of had a bit of a meltdown, didn't they? We lost, um, you know, we lost Goss, we lost Matt Morris. Uh, there's lots of other stuff going on in the background. They're obviously going to lose a big part of the performance team now that Alonso has gone as well. So, uh, yeah, again, you know, you've got all these bad things from McLaren. And it's very hard to justify where they were this year. They were up to you know it's it'd be nice if we could you know wrap it up with some you know some sugar and say well it's because they were doing this or you know maybe they were working very hard on the new car but i don't yeah. get the feeling that that team as a whole is working all in the right direction at the, at the same time and you know that's um is worrying because i would suggest as i said earlier that they they haven't worked out what their their root cause problems are I think it might come down to giving giving the wrong kind of chocolate bars out to the staff. We, well, I mean, McLaren, if you feel like they've had this um, problem with management since the first time Ron left. You know, it, that this slippery slope has been going on for a long yeah. time, hasn't mm. it? It has. Um, you know, I mean, you you know, you we can point to the Whitmarsh era as a, as a period when the team really did kind of just sit back and go, "Well, this will do." Uh, and they just kind of sort of wandered a little bit, didn't they? Um, and then Ron came back and tried to kick them into shape, but there was all sorts of other problems. And I think certainly, um, and I think Ron's return was totally successful. I think it, things started to, to, to shape up, but I think there were just too many functions in the team by then. And I think where you see them, where they're at now, 
you know, managerially, they just just seem very lost, um, which you know is, is is an odd statement to make. Because again, you look at you know the, the caliber of some of the people that are there, and you think they must know what's going on. Why, you know, they've got the money, they've got the resources, they've got the engineers, they've got some fantastic drivers. Why can't it come together? Um, you know, and all I suppose all we can hope is that they have you know really focused on 2019, and yeah, they've got some up their sleeve that will um, bring them back. But um, you know, I'd Let's be hope so. if that was that was possible. Now, um, talking to 2019, we've seen sort of basics of the the new aero regulations. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think we've not been allowed to see the the final wing designs, but do mm-hmm. you? It's all based around making the cars easy, slightly easier to follow for the next two years, and then 2021, apparently that's going to be the sweeping change, which we think it's going to happen in 2023. Um, have you have you seen any of the mock? What mock-ups have you seen of um, next year's well, arrows? I've seen nothing from the teams and just a few little bits from the, the FIA in terms of where they're working towards. Obviously, I've, I've had uh, in the past month a really serious read of the regulations um, as they stand, as they're published. Now, as we understand that Nick Tombez is the, uh, the technical head at the FIA is going to go away with these regulations and think, well, if I was running a team, which of these rules will I be able to run my ruler through and just go, I can do this and this is not what they wanted? Um, so there will be a revised set of rules coming out, hopefully to get rid of some of these kind of silly loopholes that continually come up with poorly written regulations. But uh, in terms of what they're aiming for, I think the in terms of the, the overtaking aspect of it, which I think is the, the bit that everyone will talk about most with the, the front wing changes, the rear wing changes, um, I think they've got some very noble intentions and there's some very sound science and engineering behind what they're trying to do. And it's about trying to stop the the outer part of the front wing creating this outwash, which pushes all of the dirty air of the front tyre around the outside of the car, which means that the wake behind the car is very messy and turbulent across quite a large width. And that doesn't kind of narrow down and clean up for quite some distance behind the car. And this is why the following car can't just simply go up to another car. It's great for slipstreaming, but it's horrible for trying to get the wings to work um to create downforce because you've got so much turbulent air and because this wake is so wide you can't simply just move your car slightly to the left or right of the car ahead of you and get your wings to work because it's a broad spread of turbulence so changing the front wing is one step towards trying to prevent that so more of the 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 wake of the front tires goes into the coke bottle and gets ingested by the diffuser in the rear wing and as a result, the, the wake behind the car is much narrower, which allows the following car to find cleaner air much easier. Um, so what they've tried to do with that, in theory, works. So, you know, there is science behind what they're doing. There is a reason for it. However, there's always um, a however. There's always a however. You know, you know, the, 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 what we always say when regulations come out of our teams is, you know, the gene is out of the bottle. They know what they want to do with the air and the regulations give you some scope with some very clever ideas and some very good engineering to actually try to recreate that outwash from the outer part of the front wing which means that if you just simply converted a 2018 car with a front wing written honestly to the regulations you would probably find that yeah the following car may find it a bit easier to overtake because you will get more grip through the corners therefore closer as it exits onto the straight and yeah cars but of course 
you know, as with the regulations in the past that have been there to cut down downforce, for example, the teams find the downforce over the winter. So this one is trying to clean the wake up, but the teams will want to recreate that wake because it makes the car more aerodynamically efficient and also makes it harder for someone to overtake you. So they're going to do everything they can to claw that back. So I think we may end up with a bit of a status quo for the next couple of years. Um, Ground effect so, is what we need, Craig. Ground effect. Uh, that, that, I mean, again, there's there, there's there's pros and cons to that as well. And, um, you know, as IndyCar has sort of proven this year, you know, it's not a very, it's not as simple as some people, you know, whenever we no, tweet. never is. <laughs> oh, just get rid of the wings and put ground effect on. And it's like, it's not that simple. Um, but for the first time ever, the FIA with Ross Braun and with quite literally a Formula One team that he's created, um, at the GFOM well, he works for, I think, isn't it? Um, actually, you know, doing CFD, doing wind tunnel work, um, they've got, you know, all the resources to actually think of what, what are, you know, what are the mechanisms that make overtaking more difficult? What, you know, what actually is the science behind it? And then think, well, what would the solutions be? And then test those solutions. Because what's always happened with the regulations in the past is someone's had a good idea. Sometimes someone's had a bit of a knee jerk uh, reaction to something as it frequently happens yeah. and then someone else will go well this is the solution and they'll write a set of regulations around that without ever having tested it without ever having gone back into the regulations to think well what's the byproduct of these regulation changes what are the teams likely to do and we end up with all these stupid regulations that have allowed loads of weird and uh, odd and obviously counterproductive developments uh, coming in in the in the, in the subsequent year which is one of the reasons so, why I think um, FOM took Ross Braun on because he's the ex- he was the expert at finding the loopholes. Well, exactly, and you know, and you know, you've got you've got a lot of people there that have been, you know, key staff in teams. You've got obviously Nick Tom Bases. You know, it's all of the you know the poachers. They're all out there. They know how these rules work. They know how the cars work, and they've got the resources to test this. So while I don't think the 2019 regs may be this complete solution for overtaking when we get to the 2021 regs or whenever they do finally come through the you know the ross braun regs we may well call them um they should be a proper set of thought through and test scientifically tested rules that should improve the sport if you know if the goal is what that, if that's the goal that they've been looking for that's that's not how formula one works though no I, these new <laughs> rules before and um you know it's like well why not let's give that a try because nothing else they've ever done has ever really worked um yeah. apart from perhaps 1983 when they got rid of ground effect tunnels but again you know that led to um you know uh that the path that we're currently on in lots of respects so um you know, maybe that year it was all right, but subsequent years we've kind of, you know, felt the pain of those rule changes. And the new rules in any way, shape or form will not benefit Ferrari, wink, wink. <laughs> <laughs> well, to be honest, no, I don't think though. I mean, I know a lot of people still will have this uh, FIA Ferrari. I know, it's, uh, yeah, Ferrari International yeah. Assistance, which is just not true. I, I, I'm completely sure in the past that may have been the case, but certainly how it's worked over the past maybe decade, because uh, the time's moved on now, is that Ferrari have been certainly out of favour for a big chunk of that. And um, I think these, I don't think these regulations are really pointed at any particular team. Um, you know, I think uh, apart from someone that maybe hasn't got the money, 
um, to, to to go into the wind tunnel and really work some of these solutions. But uh, I think these are these are fairly benevolent and uh, democratic rule changes. So I don't think we we we, we can uh, start to point at uh, teams of those who may benefit. I understand those words. I just don't understand the order that they come out in. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, anybody? Yeah, I was going to say, uh, so over the course of 2018 then, who impressed you the most with the development? Because we always hear about development race, uh, car teams and cars developing, you know, their aero packages, uh, sort of suspension, um, sort of bringing uh, new parts, especially when it comes to the European season. In, in your expert opinion, who won the development race as far as 2018 goes? Um... In terms of you know, development and throwing parts at the car, I mean, I think the winners, the winners there, the people that really impressed me with, you know, some of the midfield things. So, I mean, Renault really did work that car very hard through this year. Um, at Force India uh, as well, Haas, maybe to a slightly lesser degree, but Haas really have been on quite a big journey this year with the car as well in terms of how the, some of the concepts on it have changed. Um so they're some of the key teams. I think Sauber was, again, uh, I don't know how much it was throwing parts at the car, just how much of it it was some of that sort of just good engineering of how to get the car to work, how to get the strategies working, um, which is a key part of, you know, what you could argue is development, but yeah. um, much more about race engineering than, you know, the design and development side of things. Um, what perhaps is, has been a bit disappointing was what Ferrari and uh, Mercedes were up to with their chassis, really, because they didn't really do a massive amount of big updates to, to either car. Certainly some of Ferrari's mid-season ones were um, failures um, by their own admission. Um, but the other thing that was kind of impressed me on the technical side, when you look at you know, the entire grid, was, um, was Mercedes in an odd kind of way, because they started the year maybe with a faster car, but they weren't operating it as well. And that allowed Ferrari to really kind of get that early season jump. And then Ferrari really kind of stepped its gear up with its power unit, you know, in that sort of mid-season phase. But Mercedes, without throwing lots of parts at the car, without making lots of big changes, um, worked through all of these, you know, strategic and uh, tyre issues and ended up engineering that car to being, you know, the best one on the grid for a big chunk at the back end of the season. You know, mm. I think Ferrari had the opportunity to consolidate that lead sort of late in the summer, sort of around Silverstone time, when they really were looking very, very strong. But they failed to consolidate on that that period, at just as the point when Mercedes started to understand the tyres a bit better, how the car worked a bit better, uh, and how to, you know, work their weekend strategy around as well, which is something that they were, they've been very good at. Um, certainly throughout, you know, this kind of this dominant period, particularly this year, I think they really worked out what, you know, with what 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 weapons they had, where to use them, the big bang for the weekend, and uh, I think qualifying was one of those areas where they really worked it out. And in the races, they, you know, they may have looked dominant, but it's because they were managing the race from the front because they had that advantage. So I think in terms of the the really impressive thing has been, you know, the, the Mercedes engineering effort this year. What's been your opinions on um, the way that the Honda engine progressed this year? Because we've seen a lot more reliability from Toro Rosso than we did with uh, that engine all the way through the McLaren period. A bit more reliability. <laughs> <laughs> it could be the understatement of the, uh, of the year, that one. Um, yeah, I mean, we saw straight away from testing that Honda uh, with Toro Rosso were a very different operation this year. Um, you know, again, you, we've got to give 
Honda credit, despite the issues they had through the McLaren years, they really did bring that engine sort of from nowhere up to par with with Renault. And let's face it, you know, Renault had an extra year and obviously had all these extra years in Formula One as well. And this year, you know, I think they're still developing. And I think, you know, that late season uh, spec update was, you know, I think the Type C engine, as they called it, was very much, you know, where we're going to see Honda. So I think they, they probably haven't quite outformed Renault with the engine itself. And um, reliability might have to go and have a look at the stats. But, uh, you know, Renault are still dreadful with reliability and Honda still have their issues with reliability. But, um, you know, if you looked at those two uh, manufacturers, you would say for 2019, which one would you go for? I think, you know, you, you could take the risk on the uh, on the Honda to be the better engine uh, next season because of the, you know, the slope that they're on, which is upwards. Whereas, you know, Renault have been you know, on a very flat, if not a horizontal um, curve since 2014 with these power units. And it doesn't seem to be getting over the you know, performance and the reliability and the drivability and the installation packaging of that power unit. Uh, compared with certainly compared with you know Ferrari uh, and Mercedes because Ferrari really have you know equaled Mercedes. I think there's been points when each of them have had the best power unit, depending on what you know enforcements the FIA were placing on them or what steps they were at in the Lotus development. But you know Ferrari and uh, and Mercedes, you could really could say is that those power units are very close to each other. And you know, aren't you know the big reason for the difference in the performance of the cars now? It should should prove to be interesting next year with the Honda unit in the back of an Adrian Newey car. Yeah, I mean, you you do wonder what they you know the conversations that have gone on between um, Adrian and Honda as to what he wants from the power unit and what Honda aren't prepared to compromise on. Um, you know, I'd love to have been on a wall, uh, on the wall in those meetings. Um, <laughs> But yeah, you know there there is the potential for you know what have you got to lose if you're running the Honda if you're running the Renault engine at the moment? You know, McLaren haven't been able to um, you know monopolise in that unit. But you saw you know from Red Bull you know lots of um, unreliability. Not all of it was Renault. Some of it was um, in the uh, the Red Bull chassis. But you know we did see that many more failures on the on the Renault unit. The performance isn't there. Um, one of the spec updates, we you know, such poor drivability that they didn't dare run it in the wet. Yeah, that's that's not where a team should be after a handful of years under the current power unit regulations. They really should be banging at the door of um, Ferrari and Renault, not struggling to outpace um, a late start in Honda program. Do you think there's any problem, though, that being in an Adrian Newey car, we might have um, a McLaren-Honda situation again where... They're just not packaging the engine properly, and it's you know the overheating issues and stuff well, like that. Again, I mean, you know, this 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 is one of the you know one of the the, the big issues um, for for you know, any chassis power unit supplier is you know that balance of uh, of packaging. And I think Honda got their their uh, hands burnt with with what Caron were asking for a power unit, which you know, I don't think they want wanting anything. Um, that extreme but it certainly was a bit too early in the, that engine's uh, development cycle to be you know making such uh, compromises um and but i think what probably was what's more important is and we've seen that this year is how the team deal with honda 
Now, I think McLaren did a very bad job of that, that they didn't really embrace Honda and manage Honda. They let Honda do what Honda want, whatever Honda wanted to do within some of those early sort of, you know, size zero specs that they gave them. So Toro Rosso have had a very different approach, and I, I've not had a chance to speak to the team too much about exactly how they've done that, but I think they've been much more involved and have many, a lot more people over in um, Japan looking after this program and keeping an eye and managing everything. And it's something that Red Bull have got quite good with with uh, Renault over these years. Um, and you know, a lot of the improvements in the Renault uh, have been from how Red Bull have managed Renault, which seems somewhat odd in terms of how they you know, prove the engines before they release them and go through this sort of testing cycle at the factory on the, um, on the uh, full chassis dyno. So I think that is what Red Bull technology, which obviously is the kind of the overriding company that is Adrian Newey heads between Toro Rosso and Red Bull Racing. It's how they're managing Honda in that respect. I think it's more important than, you know, squeezing the size of the radiators or the, uh, the top of the engine too much to fit into an aero concept. So, um, yeah, I, I think they're on the right path there. So, you know, again, you, you could feel fairly confident that it will be better again this year for Honda um, than it, or next year for Honda than it has been this year. Do you think Renault will miss the feedback then from Red Bull? Well, going on what Christian Horner had to say about them for most of the season, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's... Yeah, there's, there's a couple of aspects to that. Yeah, um, I, I'm, I'm still confused as to where Renault are in terms of a power unit manufacturer in Formula One because... You know, we saw through the, the, the late part of the V8 era, they kind of sort of stepped back and were not taking it easy, but they weren't being aggressive in their program. And it was only really the Red Bull chassis and then the exhaust blowing uh, setup, which obviously wasn't was a, a big piece of work for them, but it wasn't the same amount of level of work as them going out and producing a completely new engine in order to take on, uh, you know, sort of the might of um, Ferrari and Mercedes back in that era. And that's followed through to the V8, uh, the V6 um, power unit area. We don't see Renault aggressively going at developing that engine. And that, you know, their mid-season development is, has always been very, very light. Um, you know, they keep saying, "Oh, we, are, we, are, we may not even introduce any big updates to the uh, next spec engine that we're releasing out of the three that we've got." Um, and that confuses me because when you see what the Renault Enstone operation are doing to try and get that chassis back to um, competitiveness you don't see it matched on the very side which which admittedly is the most expensive side um so yeah i mean i i, I do worry for, for for renault in formula one and when you haven't got someone like red bull nagging them, which they have been doing and managing them which they have been doing i think a lot of the criticism that red bull have given towards renault some of it i don't think has been warranted some of it has been misdirected um but you know it kind of goes pretty much underlined by the fact that Renault really haven't been doing the level of job that you know, I think they're capable of. I think everyone thinks that they would be capable of. You know, they've won championships before and they should be able to again. But for some reason, there isn't that level of commitment that you would expect. And it's, it seems to be that sort of Renault's attitude to Formula One all over because how many times have they pulled out and come Stop back? Scotty. And... Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, this is it seems to be sort of sort of fundamental to it. Now, I was somewhat surprised that they came back in as um, you know, as an entrant again. Um, it didn't seem to match their general 
enthusiasm for the sport. But um, yeah, I'm glad they have, you know, because I think that yeah, the Enstone Foundation being properly funded is 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 again one of those classic aspects of Formula One that needs to always be there uh, for us to keep it. Um, so yeah, again, you know, there's there there does seem to be something a little sort of dysfunctional in the background, and I don't entirely understand. You know, the politics and what's working there, but um, it, it's certainly holding back their power unit development. I think you know, I think to understand Renault's point of view for the whole thing, you need um, parallel degrees in international relations and business studies at the same time. <laughs> yes, <laughs> something that I, I, I patently lack. So, uh, yeah, we'll that to somebody else to go for. I'm, I'm sure there's other podcasts that talk about things like that. <laughs> Lee, you've probably got one out of your other 50 shows that you do. <laughs> <laughs> what do you th- what do you think about McLaren going uh, going their own way in IndyCar for next year? Well, with the five hundred, and it's looking more and more like they're going to do a full program for twenty twenty. Do you think that's going to detract from the Formula One side of things? When, to be honest, they most need to concentrate on that. Um, it doesn't have to detract from the Formula One effort. Um, it, again, it, it's all a case of how you, it's all in the execution, isn't it? So, you know, we already, you know, you can see that McLaren as a group are doing lots of other racing and they've got their applied technology um, business, which is doing lots of other work and does pull people in, in out from Formula One and it does put people into Formula One as well. So I see no reason with an IndyCar effort, which is very much you know, a race engineering operation that you could you could resource that without it having an impact on on the formula one race team or their gt program for example or even you know their automotive program so i don't think it should um the again you know we, could, we go back to this kind of management thing if if the management at the top level are trying to you know micromanage both operations then i think that's when you could start to come into some problems because people are uh, you know over in america focusing on that or focusing on even at woking and not focusing on one of the uh, on the on the f1 operation here in woking so yeah it, it has the potential to go wrong but it you know it, it should be able to be done without any obvious compromise if you've got the cash to do it which i, I guess they must have um, yeah, the not the skintest of uh, teams on the grid, especially with all the extra Latifi money coming in as well. Yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Do you think that McLaren will be one of the teams to uh, maybe set up a Formula E team in the future as well, Craig? Um, that's an interesting question. Um, yeah, I mean they've got the right um, they've got the right profile. Obviously, they've got a road car operation which you know, uses a lot of hybrid technology, which is basically, you know, electric um, Formula E technology. They're producing the battery currently, so I imagine that would be something of an obstacle for them. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I see no, see no reason in the fullness of time that McLaren wouldn't become a you know, full manufacturer in that sport if that's where they choose to go. Um, you know, if you talk, look at, you know, potential other entrants in Formula E, it seems odd that there isn't, you know, a, a full Japanese entry there. You know, I know we have Nissan, but, you know, Nissan, despite being a Japanese manufacturer, that's very much the French corporation involved there. So, you know, you haven't got your Toyotas and your Hondas there yet, which I, I find odd. 
but um, you know, I think there's there's lots of potential niche manufacturers like McLaren that could come into that sport and do very well. Because it's interesting that there are more manufacturers now in Formula E than there, there are in Formula One. So the manufacturers are obviously looking more at, at Formula Formula E. So you know, yes. do you think in the in in the future we're we're looking at either sort of like a merger or or, or a split where you know the garage easters the 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 McLaren Williams is remain Formula One and all the manufacturers go after Formula E or you know for road relevance. It's again, this is one of these kind of big unanswered questions that there doesn't appear to be in the FIA shape motorsport going forwards because obviously you know when we're looking at um we. Uh, I say road cars, it's not because there's any issue here about road relevance, but if we look at where the world is going, you know, you can't continue just to go around burning fuel um, for entertainment um, because there's not much of it about. The environment is more important than that. And then all the people that potentially could pay for this, be it manufacturers, yeah. sponsors, you know, how long, you know, it's, it's you know, sadly, how long can that continue to be socially acceptable for the people that are involved in it and you know putting money into it so i think there does need to be come at some stage you know some thought as to you know where is motorsport in its elite categories going um and the way it looks at the moment because of no other reason other than who's doing the best commercial job is that formula one have become a kind of a petrol heritage series um, run by you know niche specialist teams and um, suppliers, maybe not even any manufacturers at all. Mm. Um, and Formula E, because of its you know ability to you know get across the you know, the electric message, it races in city centres, which is appealing to lots of non-serious motorsporty types that will just go there because it's you know you watch Williams, you'll go and watch the FA Cup, you'll go and watch Formula E because it's on your doorstep. Um, and, you know, obviously there's a great marketing message there and it's so much cheaper than Formula One. So, yeah, I mean, it could go um, that direction where Formula E becomes the manufacturer of playpen. But then you've obviously got to manage, you know, how, how mad do the budgets go if everyone's going to come in and want to get a slice of the cake. But, um, yeah, again, you know, from Jean Todd, you're not hearing anything directional. Um, or inspirational about what you know what they're thinking to do with um, with motorsport, you know, in the in the next what, two or three decades, really. Yeah, I mean, I guess a lot of it depends on um, who's going to succeed John Todd at uh, the top of the FIA because he said he's not standing again after this one. Now has he? I, I missed that. I know he was he stood unopposed for this current one, and um, I think he's he's taken the FIA in a very different direction to what I think a lot of us have been kind of used to. He's been very much focused on the 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 roadside on the safety side um but um you know it's um motorsport is a key part of that and i think it needs to be integral to what you're doing with you know automotives and, you know, around the world yeah no i was going to say i completely agree with that i think the road relevance is is, is a part of, of of all motorsport um it's just but as you say the way that the world is going at the moment it just seems to be leaning more heavily towards formula e which is where the manufacturers are going um, but yeah, I mean, just uh, getting us back on track for Formula One. Just gonna throw it out there and 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 see how you catch this one. Twenty nineteen. Uh, who do you expect to make the biggest leap forward in twenty nineteen? When you're looking at the at the rules and regs that we've got at the moment. Four. The great, um, the great unanswerable question. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
I mean, I think when you're looking at the, the top three, um, I mean, I think it will continue to be very close. I think Mercedes will still carry a small advantage. Um, Ferrari will be very close to them. I think Red Bull will be much closer again. Um, really depends on you know how the how the Honda thing shakes out for for Red Bull really. Um, so I don't see any massive change there. Equally, I don't see any change any other team jumping into that top three to give them any kind of aggro on a regular basis. So you've got to look at some of the teams that potentially could make a big step. Um, I think Force India, as we've sort of already spoken about, with the the investment and some stability and some expansion, uh, could could become a team that make a step. But I mean, I think they're already depending on how you want to count the figures were the fourth best team anyway. Um, they finished the year with the same car that they started with and the same drivers, so it, it was yeah. a it was a net fourth. It's just that the points said different. Yeah, exactly. I still don't quite understand how that works, but um, yeah, uh, we'll leave that to, to again commercial <laughs> people to argue about. I mean, I think the, the people that, you know, then you've got you know Renault have got the opportunity to consolidate. So I don't know if they're going to make a big jump, but I think they need to consolidate themselves. As could Haas, um, who've done a very good job this year, and then they've also had that maturing year where they've had all sorts of things thrown at them. We had the pit stop issues, we had the legality issues we've had everyone poking their fingers at you know this that you know the, the ongoing myth about them being a ferrari team um and i think they've kind of got through some of that and it's one of those growing pains that every team has to go through when it goes from just being you know a, a midfield entry to a team that are actually being very competitive so again i think Haas would be a team that would be you know consolidating rather than making a big leap out to the you know the de facto becoming the de facto fourth team and then as you look further back, I think Sauber, again, you know, consolidating their position. So when you're looking at someone's going to make a big leap, I mean, I think, yeah, Williams have got a potential to, to, to make a big step next year, um, which uh, yeah, I think everyone would want to see. Um, you know, it's not just a British thing. I think everyone likes to see the old teams and the established teams, you know, bouncing back from, from you know, bad times. Um, I think Toro Rosso would be the bigger question that I've got is, you know, where are they going to shake out? Because they didn't, they've not, in terms of their chassis by the road admission, they've not really had a very good year this year. Um, I know they've been focusing very much on um, the, the the Honda relationship, which, as I previously said, they've done a very good job with. But, um, you know, they're losing James Key um, to McLaren, um, which I think in the fullness of time will potentially be a, a good thing for um for mclaren obviously not for toro rosso so you've got to wonder maybe they're the team that could uh, you know disappoint or surprise us i I don't see anything at the moment that's going to kind of that's jumping out to make me think that they're gonna you know pull a blinder um for 2019 so yeah i guess williams would be the one that have got the potential to make the big leap but Maybe because you know, they've fallen so far behind, it's um, you know it's more evident that they're going to be going forwards. I worry for Williams a little bit with losing that sponsorship as well. You know the whatever the rich energy deal was supposed to be, and Martini's going as well. Yeah. Yes, uh, and the Strolls obviously uh, moving on with them. So um, I mean, I, I, I've not been uh, directly in touch with the team, but I know um, some people that were out at some of the later races speaking to them, and they're 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 convinced that they have the budget to do what they need to do next year um, and that that was you know confirmed as early as a sort of monza time so they've obviously got something up their sleeve I, I don't know what it is i'll be honest with you um 
but if the if the the people on the technical side of the team are convinced that they've got the budget that they need then you have to guess that it's not just come some marketing spiel mm. and you know there is you know uh, a balance sheet that shows them that they can go and buy the the carbon fiber and the titanium and the, all the other bits and pieces to go and get the job done does that sound like a title sponsor to you then craig or do you you know, just just an in, Again, another investor no all all, all I've heard is that you know they're convinced they've got they've got the budget. So you know that could be from several small things. I mean, you just don't get title sponsors now nowadays. Really, you know, you've got the Rich Energy and Half Steel, um, but that is you know obviously something quite odd because of the way that their business model is working at the moment. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I you know, there's not you can't see big other companies clamouring to come into Formula One at the moment. So I'd be surprised if Williams had sort of snatch that deal so well that sort of deal should i say um so yeah we'll just have to see what color the car comes out with uh, yeah, I mean, when you've got someone like zach brown saying his main job is to get a title sponsor for mclaren and after two years there still isn't one on the car yeah then i think it just proves that's the that's the way that the global economy is at the moment that the money that teams are wanting for title sponsors um companies aren't willing to put that in for adverts in what's becoming more and more of a niche market yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, it's, it's, you know, the way the teams fund themselves is totally different from what it was maybe even 10 years ago. As you say, you're not going to get someone just give you that 50 million, 30 million, whatever it may be to be a title sponsor, um, unless they have some kind of hook into the team, like technical partnerships. You get lots of the money for the team's yeah, you know, it doesn't even have a sticker on the tar- on the car. It's people giving them, you know, hardware, software, services, what have you, that you don't, you know, you don't necessarily see. But obviously, it all goes into the you know, the balance sheet at some point. So you know, it's it, it's it's hard to spot where, the, where some of these teams' money comes from. Um, and um, it, it, as you say, you just won't get those those big sponsorship deals. But what what then? maybe they should do if they aren't beholding to um a title sponsor that wants a particular color scheme why aren't these teams going out out of their way to put some you know, great color schemes and liveries on these cars they always look so yeah. dark compare them to some other categories you know former e again kind of go back to that one some of the cars look fantastic with the vinyl wraps and everything why do formula one cars just have to have a couple of you know, kind of vague stripes on them and think that that is um you know a livery nowadays I, I, I do remember uh, going back to the start of Jaguar. They had to go for a different um, different shade of green on the car because the paint they wanted was too heavy. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, there is always that aspect to it, but um, you know what 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 gets people's eyes more? You know, um, yeah. you know, for a second because of the weight of the paint. Or, um, wow, that car looks really cool. Yeah. Let's um, support them. Marketing wise, it's got to be Force India, isn't it? At the moment, with the best best car, the, the Pink Panthers. No, everybody knows them as the pink cars, even if you don't watch an awful lot of Formula oh, 1. Oh, fr- friends of mine that, don't, um, that watch maybe half an hour of highlights a year know that it's Force India. Yeah, the pink cars. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's you know, a, a, a clear and obvious colour scheme is connects people so much to the team and to a sponsor more than, you know, I mean, I can remember going to, you know, um, shows, motor racing shows and things in the 80s, and it's like, oh, there's a Marlboro over there, and it's yeah. like, <laughs> team it's just the, but yeah it, it, it connects people directly with it so you know force india i mean i'm not quite sure what their um sponsorship package will be for next year but um you know they they, they seem to be getting the, the right idea in terms of you know 
the, the presence on the grid of um, you know their brand. Maple must, syrup and Mountie shirts. Yeah. <laughs> there must be still some Jordan people in there still. Mansion <laughs> um, Williams going forward into 2019. Now, they're starting the new season without Rob Smedley. Um, one of the questions that we've been asking all season with his role as head of performance engineering, what was it he was doing? Yeah. Because <laughs> they weren't performing. Yeah, it's... Um... There's a couple of questions there, isn't there? There's that, what is that role? And um, obviously, you know, each garage, each car has got such a big team now of race engineers and now what they're calling performance engineers, which are looking at things much more than just about how you would change the wing settings or the, you know, the, the suspension settings. We're looking at all the other aspects of weekend strategy, race strategy, setup, and all this sort of stuff. Uh, even mind, you know, mind games with the drivers as well as a sort of an aspect of it. Um, so, you know, the performance engineer tends to be someone that's been through that process and can kind of glue the two garages together and think of it, things at team level as well. Um, and um, yeah, it, it, it sometimes it doesn't it's not the sort of the headline and the uh, your face on the, uh, the success that you <laughs> perhaps always would like it to be. Uh, and you've seen a few people move into that role and have kind of sort of gently disappeared from the sport. And I think Rob's gone that way. Um, I don't know. Again, with, when you look at all the other problems Williams have had, I don't know if Rob Smedley's really had the impact on that team that perhaps he should have or could have. Um, I don't know if that's a feigning from from him or the team management structure or just the position they've been over these years. But, you know, it certainly ended up being a bit of a, an ineffective um, relationship. So, um, I, I think Williams do need a, a big shake up on you know some of the management, and uh, maybe that is um, a good move for them. You know, I know Rob's very very popular; he's a really nice guy. Um, but may, maybe they just need someone else to think about how the team are, are operating uh, at race weekend, and that that is the role that is pivotal in doing that. Yeah, maybe they should get a new new version of Patrick Head in where he just turns up in the garage, shouts at people, and they get the job done. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's what they do need. <laughs> maybe it's as simple as someone that simply isn't happy with the status quo. And I think that has been the feeling that you've had with um, with Williams is that they've they've been happy where they're at. Um, I mean, I think this year it's kind of gone to an extreme, but. You know, anyone at the team for the past few years would have argued, well, we're the fourth best team, fourth, you know. And it's like, drifting, though. You're not, you know, it's not, this isn't good enough. It's more like, you know, this will do. And I think that's been the kind of attitude from the team. Am I, I making this up, or is Pat Simmons on his way back? Um, but if he is, and it's the first time I've heard of it. Yeah, uh, no, I, I don't know whether, I, whether I'm right or not. I, I thought I remembered hearing something about it. Um, I mean, if he is, I, I think, Paddy Lowe would be um, <laughs> deeply disturbed by that news. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I, I do think that Paddy is the right person in the right job there. Um, so hopefully um, that there isn't uh, a wobble in the team with the, uh, you know, the top end of the management and keep, keep doing what he needs to be doing there. Yeah, I can remember an interview with Claire Williams, must be about three or four years ago now, towards the back end of the season, as you were just saying then, when they were the fourth best team, or the or third, yeah, I think they were the fourth best team. And she was saying, that, yeah. And uh, she was saying that um, we have to try and consolidate this um, from the guys behind, you know, make sure we hold on to this fourth place from the guys who are coming up to us behind. I'm like, hang on a second. 
if this was an interview with your dad, Frank, some 20 years earlier, he would have been saying, this isn't good enough. We need to push forward for third. Yeah. And yeah, there I wasn't that going I... forward mentality. It was, well, we're here, but we're quite scared that we might get caught, which is, just seems a bit, not defeatist, but very negative. Yeah, and, um, you know, I think, you know, with the potential that that team has always had, um, that that is something where you know, they've really been struggling. And again, it's it's down to that management and leadership. Um, and um, you know, I don't think that side of things has really been acted out properly at Williams since sort of 2014, when, you know, when that, that money first came in from from. Uh, Martini, yeah. and they got his power unit, and they got the the calculations right with the uh, the car for that year. And really, that was kind of you know the spike that has really kind of just sort of now drifted every year since. And obviously, and that that sort of drift has gone sort of nosediving through 2018, which is you know sort of very sad to see Williams being you know, the last team on the grid. Yeah, you know, um, prior to. Uh, um, you know penalties and what have you, but you know always being the last qualifier is just is just a, something that none of us are really quite prepared for. Yeah. Fingers crossed they can turn it around for next year because, so. um, like you say, it's, it's not just the Brits that want to see them back; it's it's the it's the fan base in general. Yeah, mm. yeah. I mean, you know, it's part of Formula One. We, you know, Formula One is a lot about you know the future and um, you know where where we're going next but equally there's you know that, that heritage aspect is you know is a critical part and classic circuits classic teams um you know really need to be retained in the sport maybe with the exception of monaco <laughs> <laughs> We've been having uh, various debates during the course of the year on it is it worth keeping uh, keeping the monaco grand prix on the calendar um because it just doesn't look like a race anymore well, when you've got cars that are like six meters long and two meters wide, I mean, you're never going to be able to race around streets, are you? No. And, um, and I saw there was some, some someone had done some 3D uh, renderings of the cars over the past sort of 40 years. And you see the current Formula One, the current Formula One car, a Mercedes Formula One car, is actually longer and wider than the long wheelbase S-Class Mercedes. Um, and that's just absurd. I mean, you wouldn't see them racing around Monaco, would you? No, of course not. Uh, and, uh, you know, I know Ross Braun, one of the things he says is the cars need to be shorter. Um, and uh, I think they probably could do with being shorter and narrower as well. Um, but that seems to be the pattern for lots of racing cars. When you look at the uh, LMP1 cars at Le Mans, yeah, they're, just, they're enormous. Yeah. And it's like, when did they ever get so big? Even, <laughs> even the Formula E cars as well. Race? <laughs> yeah, the Formula E cars as well. They're even there, they're so long. Um Yes. The, yeah, I mean, where you, you think you, is the back of the car isn't the back of the car. They've got a huge, massive what looks like an exhaust out the back. Obviously, it's not an exhaust, but but yeah, it's where all the sparks go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is it, I suppose it's that, that balance between having something that works and something that's aesthetically pleasing as well, and something that's safe. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's 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 lots of things to balance it, but um, you would find that there's probably you know, uh, maybe two or three feet of wasted space in a Formula One car in the gearbox simply to make the car long enough to get the aerodynamics to work. So it wouldn't be difficult to rein those cars back in by, you know, probably you could probably squeeze those cars by almost a metre if you really wanted to um, on wheelbase. Um, the overhang obviously is a safety thing and I've got no issue with that, but just the general size of these cars is ridiculous now. Do you think that would help with reining the aero in as well to make them smaller? 
it certainly would. It would certainly really upset the aero. Yes, uh, the aero dams would be tearing their hair out if they were told what they had to do. But um, you know, again, it's um, how you shape the entire package, which is obviously as we said, is what sort of Ross Braun's trying to get to. Um, all of these things can be taken into account if you, you know, if you've got the, that big view of what's going on. I think I asked you this question last time you were on, um, but I'm going to ask it to you again. Um, you get hypothetically, you get a phone call tomorrow saying that you're in charge of making the regulations for the 2021 changes. What does Formula Scarbs look like? <laughs> oh, it depends how wild you want me to go. Really, as wild <laughs> as you want. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think there's there's a number of things. I mean, I think this whole sort of um, complicated aero uh, needs to be stripped right back. So I would have almost um, a kind of an overrided regulation where you can't have overlapping bodywork. So you couldn't have a barge board, for example, that sits in front of another part of the car. And the same with side pods and yeah, the wings and everything. So I think that would be the first thing. So the shape of the car is the aerodynamic surface. It's not all these other little knickknacks that they keep sticking on uh, and deciding whether they want to ban them or not. Um, I think the raised nose thing, you know, the raised chassis is just, you know, completely ridiculous. That needs to go as well. When you start then to come back towards, you know, sort of, you know, late 80s, early 90s sort of look of car. Um, uh, and then, you know, as I said, we sort of talked about length. We've talked about... Um, uh, you know, weight as well. Um, you know, I'm very much, you know, an advocate for the halo and I've, I've, I've never sort of apologized for that. Um, I think it needs to go to the next stage. So I think we do need to put that screen on the front of the car. But again, I've already, I've already tweeted, I've got loads of pictures of, you know, sort of ideas of what you could and couldn't do. I bet they oh. go down well. <laughs> well uh, yes. Well, you know, um, don't forget when you can talk to a wolf likes the halo now. <laughs> styling sketch with a screen on the line, everyone goes, well, that looks really cool. Obviously the, the reality is that, you know, the driver needs to be able to look through it and there's lots of other fat aspects to it. But, um, you know, it, the sport has to be safe, you know, um, you know, we potentially could have lost a, you know, a couple of drivers this year with some freak, what you would regard as freak accidents, but it would have been a head injury that would have killed them. Um, so, you know, we do need to be mindful of that, that, you know, none of us want to see the uh, the sport, you know, really lose its popularity from, you know, a, a series of deaths or something. Um, and then the biggest argument would be, what do you do with the power unit, which um, is probably the most emotive subject, probably of all, even more than the halo, if that's even possible. Um, and, uh, you know, if I had my, you know, dictatorial way, I would probably move Formula One towards uh, what I describe as electric final drive, which kind of keeps keeps it open. So you don't you could have a petrol engine, but that would be like the LaFerrari. Cr- yeah. So the, the petrol engine or the hydrogen fuel cell or the batteries or the little skeletrics contacts going down into the circuit below you would provide the electricity for the motor to drive the, the wheels so that would be what i would like to get towards um and that opens up lots of you know potential possibilities for how you know uh, motorsport can you know take on you know sort of the new world of you know non-fossil fuels or hyper efficient vehicles if you want to call it something like that um but being realistic you know that's that's not going to happen for my 2021 regs so what I would say is let's put in an absolutely tiny um, one litre engine that's an absolute screamer that everyone has virtually the same power from. So you'd need to be a bit careful with what you allow on the regulations, but free up 
the hybrid aspect of things because at the moment you've got a thousand horsepower car but only 160 horsepower is actually recovered energy which really really isn't much to shout about is it um 16, uh, <laughs> Well, yeah, I'm glad you worked that out because if you'd asked me that, I'd like to get my head back. <laughs> but, you know, why not recover the all this lost um, energy from the front brakes? Why not recover more from the rear? Why does it have to be, you know, 160 horsepower of um, power that you can apply back to the car? Why is that in four megajoules of energy that you can store? Why can't that be unlimited, maybe? Um, and let the engineers work on that because once you've got that little engine, right, internal combustion engine working, all the development should be focused on recovering more energy. And these cars would still have a thousand horsepower, twelve hundred horsepower, tons and tons of torque, potentially you know four wheel drive or at least um, four wheel energy recovery. And you know they'd be absolutely fantastic. And with that, you can then start to bring back in some of the active technologies like active suspension, um, even things like, you know, torque vectoring and stuff, which would be really exciting because it will really get the cars to go around the corners really quickly. Um, and it can be construed not to be a driver aid. It wouldn't be traction control. It would just be, you know, a kind of a closed loop where if you're steering this much, you get this much torque vectoring and stuff like that. So, you know, I think the Formula One can be, more technically interesting without blowing the budgets um and be a bit more you know sort of sustainable into you know these future uh, decades before you know we really see which direction um you know uh, engines and vehicles will be uh, going in terms of their power units so always one thing that i've wondered about the the energy recovery way of um, doing things since going back to the curse days that the whole use it or lose it within a lap ethos i couldn't understand that because if your car is generating that much potential energy um why waste it if you don't use everything gathered in that lap and um, where it, does it go where does it go <laughs> <laughs> well i mean there's, there, there are a couple of ways they can actually um lose excess energy but basically what they do is stop recovering more energy which has you know, all sorts of issues with the car in terms of the cooling and the balance of the handling and stuff, even with the brake by wire. Um, but yeah, I mean, I never understood why there was, you know, we've never had a cap on you know, internal combustion engine power. Why would you have a cap on hybrid power? If you, you can put in a 500 kilowatt motor and do it. <laughs> why not? Yeah, why, absolutely. why does that? I know there are obviously, you know, cost implications and there does need to be, you know, some sense sensible aspects to the regulations but i think that area could have been opened up and i think that's really where we should be going rather than trying to make these um uh, v6 engines sound louder um and you know create the power from some some very odd um energy recovery strategies and some very odd combustion technologies why you know why not open up some of the simpler stuff like all of that heat that it gets wasted on the front brakes, all the energy is just being thrown away. Why not recover it? Do you think Formula One is going to be brave enough to make these decisions come for the 2021 regs? No. Is, is, <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could be more optimistic. I, no, I, I see absolutely no, no um, enthusiasm from the FIA, from FOM and Liberty. Uh, I think Ross Braun's pitched a few ideas but i think they're just kind of comments rather than a strategy and equally i don't think the teams are um are, are 
they like the status quo. They like to, you know, maintain their advantages. So I just don't see anything radical for 2021. We'll have a probably a, a, a tweaked engine and um, some much simpler changes to the aero than perhaps we were expecting. Um, certainly barge boards will be scrapped um, and some changes to the wing sizes. But I think that's about as far as it will go. I think if you looked at a 2021 car, they won't be these design concepts that we saw flashed about um, during the summer. And they'll look much more like a car just from a few years ago than anything sort of radically futuristic or different. Shame. Just, just made me think about the um, about the extra energy. Um, Formula E starts this weekend, and obviously we've we've discussed long and hard about fan boost being a daft idea. How about the new one though, with the um, attack the attack mode, the Mario Kart zones? Um, yeah, I like the idea of it. Now, I, I always just think I was a bit of a motorist and purist, but I think I think I'm probably maybe a bit more progressive than I thought I was. Um, you got to remember. Formula E, it will be, you know, we, we, we can talk about the technology and you know all the the good the good messages. It is trying to be an exciting and accessible motorsport, particularly for the younger generation. So why not give the driver the ability to get some performance boost mid race when you're not having pit stops? And let's face it, pit stops in Formula One for tyres and for fuel have pretty much done nothing for the racing. Um, because everyone waits for the pit stop and then they just overtake in the pits. Why not give them something else fake in order to have overtake? Now, I'm not a fan of DRS. I think that's there was part of the DRS concept was right. I think the amount you're able to use it has been ridiculous. And I've been, always been vocal that it should, you know, you should get like 10 DRSs for the whole weekend or something. Um, but this attack mode sounds quite interesting. You've got to go offline, uh, which will slow you down. Which obviously would mean if you're using your attack mode to defend, then you, you know you can really be in some trouble. But and then you get you know a a a, a, a yet to be defined period of um, more performance, which with electric um, car is so much easier to actually engineer into the package. It'd be very hard to give a Formula One car suddenly an extra 50 horsepower because you have to change the fuel flow, and that has a really big impact on how the engine works. So it's yeah. very hard to set an engine around that electric it's like yeah just <laughs> throw more electric at it and it'll do it didn't didn't uh, williams manage that by just turning the aero off now and again <laughs> <laughs> yes so um i i like the idea of it i obviously we've yet to see it, it being implemented and i don't think it gives you enough of a power boost to be a real slam dunk you'll definitely get no take done which could could or could not be a good idea i don't know yet but yeah i mean it's one of those things it's like if you're going to try something like that, let's try it in Formula E because I think in Formula One it would just look ridiculous. Does Formula One look at Formula E as a, as a valid um, threat yet? Ooh, um, that I don't know. Because um, it feels term... it at the minute going into this new season, it's, it's starting to feel it. Like it's a threat. It's, it's, again, it's like what, what, by what metric would you do that? If you look at the TV viewers, social media followers, crowd thing, when you look at every possible statistic, you would say, well, no, it's not a patch on Formula One. They've got nothing to be worried about. But and that's not to say that I don't believe that it is. Mm. It's like, well, then why, why is everyone talking about Formula E being this threat? And I think it's. 
you know, it's it's in the way that they've approached um, the sport as a whole. You know, it's not just the electric thing. It's, you know, how they're, all, you know, dealing with budgets, how they're dealing with the rules, how they deal with the fans, uh, where they race, all of these other factors and how they promote the sport that I think they're doing right. And Formula One, for, for, for many years, hasn't done right. And I don't think Liberty have quite, you know, got the sweet spot of the, um, the promotion of the sport. So I think, you know, I think there, there, there is stuff to be, should we say there's stuff to be learned from Formula E. Um, uh, I'm never sure if it would ever actually become more popular than Formula One unless Formula One had a really bizarre kind of downturn popularity, which sports, you know, sports don't tend to go out of fashion, do they? I'm just trying to think no, of something but, but when Formula One keeps making it more and more difficult for people to watch the sport, you know, by putting paywalls in front of it and stuff like that, I can't help but think Formula E, let's, let's just say that hypothetically the new cars, like Gen 2 cars, are going to be really good. They're going to be able to race each other, and they look fantastic. Um, I, I wonder whether Formula E is like a name away because I notice um, Porsche has has announced it's going to announce its first driver for the nineteen twenty season. Oh, um, okay. oh, I didn't catch that. Yeah. That's really interesting. And I keep wondering to myself if the fact that they're they're bigging up the announcement before you know before we've even started this season, I. Is it someone like an Alonso, for instance, that's that's going to go to Formula E? Like a big name. Yeah, and is is that what Formula E needs? Is it Does it need that marquee driver to jump ship? Yeah, I mean, I think um, you know, you've got the manufacturers there, you've got them, and they're, all of them are doing really good promotion around Formula E as well. So, yeah, I mean, I think it could be. I mean, it could be the driver. Um, you know, it could be, you know, just some kind of key moment that just really gets people sort of switching on to it um that could make the difference i mean certainly you've seen the alonso factor at indy at le mans at daytona i mean you know all of those events have been very much you know kind of core motorsport fan stuff but in terms of the you know the wider following of motorsport you know they know what le mans and indy and daytona is but no one's ever really spoken about it on social media as it's going on it's just like oh who won oh right yeah uh, and like now it's like every aspect of, you know, those events is now covered because of Alonso. So, yeah, it could be uh, something as simple as that. And, um, you know, there's, there's any number of the, the, the guys at the top of Formula One could go there um, and just, you know, transform its, um, its appeal for people or get people switched onto it. Um, you know, I think there's still equally a lot that people just will always, particularly motorsport fans, will always find negative about Formula E. And that's, you know, that's fair enough. You know, some people like loud exhaust, some people like the idea of, you know, you know, huge V8s and things. You know, it's not necessarily my cup of tea, but I can understand people do like that. So, yeah, you know, uh, it, it'll be interesting, you know, I think. But equally, I think, you know, Formula One and Formula E maybe need to keep an eye on esports because I think that could be the thing that could absolutely obliterate <laughs> physical motor racing far more than you know whether we're burning petrol or um, charging up batteries because that that really has got probably in some respects already way more viewers than than formula one does that's massively depressing <laughs> <laughs> from, from a man that has an, another video game podcast and that I, I play quite a lot of video games it's so depressing <laughs> i think potentially in the longer term i mean you know we all sort of you know everyone's kind of turned their nose up at robo race but 
you know, uh, potentially a crossover between, you know, e-racing and uh, or sim racing and live racing or just, as, as I say, just, you know, gaming um, could 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 be a, you know, a bigger fan draw in the future than <laughs> than the real thing, which, which gets, starts to get really confusing for people of my age that think, yeah, everything has to be physical and out there. But um, once there's no real motor racing, where does where does sim racing go? What what where, where does it develop? I don't know. But yeah, it's as I say, it's a kind of pivotal time for um, for media as well as the automotive industry, I guess, isn't it? Yeah, I mean the the robo racing thing. I suppose if you if you had like a crossover there, um, if you didn't have drivers in the cars all of a sudden that were being driven, you could lean on physics a little bit more, couldn't you? You know, it's and without having physics, the, the, the fleshy bit to worry about. Yeah, I mean, I know there were lots of other people trying to start up um, remotely driven um, categories as well, where, you know, you could have a guy in Brazil racing um, remotely with a car that's going around Silverstone. There could be a guy in Antarctica. There could be a guy, you know, a guy in Woking, you know, just in, in his flat, you know, racing. And there's millions of people around the world watching this. So it's, you know. It's a very different spectacle. Nobody wants to see somebody lose a championship because his daughter starts watching Netflix. (laughs) (laughs) The Wi-Fi's gone down. That'd be the new retirement, wouldn't it? (laughs) No, DNF because of internet connection. Yeah, I get get that when I'm playing the Codemasters game at least least twice a month. (laughs) Craig, thanks very much for uh, taking time out to join us. It's always great to have you on. That's my pleasure. It's always fascinating to chat to you guys. You always throw some questions up that I've never thought about. <laughs> I'd like to keep you on your toes. And um, <laughs> just to say, have a have a really good Christmas. Um, we hope to see a lot more of you in uh, 2019. And hopefully, yeah, uh, we'll hopefully back on the show as well. And, yeah, have a good Christmas. And we'll, ca- we'll catch up again when we've got some, um, some new cars to talk about. Yeah, we'll speak to you hopefully sometime around about pre-season testing. Thanks very much, guys. Thanks, Cheers, Pat. Thanks, thanks a lot, Craig. See you soon. See you soon. Bye. Just want to say again, absolutely great to have Craig on the show. Always is. Yeah. Very, very knowledgeable man. Better than us, and that's, that's why we like having him on, because what are you doing with your hand? I'm blocking Lee's iPad. Oh! Is he watching that porn again? Yeah. Uh, right, turn... I can see the reflection of your iPad in your glasses as well. Can you? Yeah. Your eyes aren't that good to see. No. <laughs> um, so I guess that means it's total shunt time. Yes, it is. Oh, I thought I was going to watch porn. Yeah. <laughs> Damn it! Well, that's what you oh, were come doing. Come on, this is this is the fifteen minutes out of the day where you shouldn't have porn on there. Well, shouldn't being the operative <laughs> word. <laughs> this, these, these new iPads they do split screen, don't they? They do, yes. yes. <laughs> but that's so I can watch two different porn videos. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, he is doing. I can see that in his glasses. I've got two eyeballs, and if you just use midgets, then it's just like watching like normal porn. Can we? Can we? Like, take, yeah. I'm can, sorry for mentioning the porn. <laughs> <laughs> you should have known better, really. If yeah. We're perfectly honest. It's all Dan's fault. It's uh, my first day. <laughs> of the I do week. hope we haven't had this one before. I don't think we have. Oh, not no, again. No, Who's haven't. it from? It is from Eric Clarkman. Are you the Adelaide Grand Prix circuit? No. <laughs> Are you Finland? <laughs> No. <laughs> <laughs> That's two of our three graces gone. No, no, it's not. We haven't started yet. Right. I was born Yay. in yes. 1993. Okay. Hmm. 
So it's something fairly something or someone twenty five fairly current. Stoffel type age, isn't it? I think he's younger than that Is still. Yeah. Hang on, I'll look it up. Someone like uh, Carlos Sainz, Danny. I oh, know he's he's younger than that as well. Danny Kvyat, maybe. I think he's younger than that. Yeah, possibly. Right, so carry on. So it's somebody young but past it. I was killed because I turned out to be too fast. I was killed because I turned out to be too fast. 1993. So things that were banned. Group Active active suspension being one. Group B rally car. That was around a long time before 1993. Was it? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I was born, yeah. wasn't it, in 93? Yeah. Sorry, yeah. Yeah, active suspension, I reckon. Yeah. I provided continuous power. I'd like a guess. Traction control? Oh. Doesn't really provide continuous power. And it wasn't killed because it was too fast. I think you might be on it with the active suspension. Because I mean that did that did vary the ride height and it, it, cars were it, cornering a lot faster. Yeah, it did for, for continuous power though. It's an odd way of wording it if that's what it means. But yeah, but it kept. Let's go with it. It, for it now. kept it kept um, kept full um, lateral power. Yeah, three let's go corners. With it for now. Yeah, active suspension then. Yeah, yeah. Put go, that down. Go for that. For the Williams first active suspension because it was only Williams who used it, wasn't it? That's why yes. it was banned. Mm. Nowadays, I can be found in a Dutch museum. Oh, God, we're back onto what he usually watches on the iPod. iPad. <laughs> Nowadays, I can be found in a Dutch museum. Okay. Oh, people have properly fucking stepped their difficulty game up. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and we do appreciate this. Yeah. Uh, we need Sean on. <laughs> You're looking well, hang confident. on. Active suspension wasn't born in 93, because 91 and 92 Williams had active suspension. Mm. All right. I dispose of an infinite radio ratio. Sorry. Sorry, what? I dispose of an in, of an infinite ratio. Sure, I've got one of their albums. Talking somewhere. about limited slip differentials in Formula One. My brain. Was there ever any kind of torque vector control? I don't, which is uh, what short? Uh, not short. Scarves talking, talking about. about yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't think there was. I think next limited blue. slip diff is 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 possible. Yeah. Go on. I'm not convinced vector control shouldn't have been like the next puppet show after um, the Muppets. Well, no, <laughs> after Thunderbirds. After Thunderbirds. Yeah. <laughs> um. My race debut was in Wales. So that would suggest a rallying thing. The um, rally GB. Oh, right, well, there's two sixes here. And, um, rally GB used to take part in Wales. Yeah. I would like to clarify yeah. something. Well, actually, I'm not going to clarify. I'm going to muddy the waters. Mm. Um, he's wrote six down twice. Right. Number, number one, six. Yeah. Or 6A, we'll go with. Yeah. 
my race debut was in Wales. Yeah, okay. 6B. 6-2 or 6B, depending on which way you want to go with it. Yep. Uh, my track debut was in Wales. Track debut. So, But I don't know which one is correct. Hmm. I don't or know whether they were both correct. You're just saying about Rally GB um, used to be in Wales. Round about the mid-90s, uh, the, well, it, was the, it was the RAC rally going back to those days. Yeah, it was, yeah. <coughs> it wasn't just in Wales, it was... Um, All over the UK. It, it was yeah. UK-wide because of the infamous time that we were just outside Sheffield and um, held up the entirety of the rally on the way to a night stage. Nice. That was being shown live on BBC and they had to delay the show by 20 minutes because all the cars got there late because we'd held them up on the M1 because the guy that was driving the car thought it was a boy racer behind him with all the halogen headlights on the front. Oh, dear. Whoops. (laughs) Focus, people. (laughs) Um, track debut, track or race debut. I don't know of many tracks in Wales, to be honest with you. There's, um, that, there's that one that there's, was... There's one in Anglesey. Yeah. Um, there's the new circuit of Wales that hasn't even been built yet. So something born in 1993 probably didn't debut there. Mm. If it was killed soon after for being too fast. Yeah, I understand. Outside of Anglesey, which I think that's a road circuit anyway. No, it's an old airfield, I think. Ah, right. I know it's it's on the um, PlayStation 2 TT game. Yes. Well, it could have been used as a test circuit for a. I'm sure sure it was uh, public roads around a park or something. I'd like a guess, please. Um, Is there any kind of. Launch control or starting aid that would have got you off the line quicker than they'll accept as human reaction time. Unless it was at a race course and it's something... Because there's horse racing circuits in Wales. Unless it's something Uh, that drives on grass. It's supposed to be motor racing. Yeah. Motorsport. Horses are cars too. No, they're not. We've got horsepower. No, they don't. <laughs> You're all talk. <gasps> like that. That's quite good. That was good, actually. Yeah. And, it, and it made sense. Yeah. That's two this year. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think we're going to have to defer this next guess, aren't we? Yeah. Nope. Oh. I. Um... We, we threw that rule away. Thrust SSC. Oh, that's not a bad a bad shout. Were they a football team? <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, because that um, could have actually been used on a beach it, in I think Wales. it probably was, yeah. yeah. And it was uh, the the abandoned the abandoned car. Was, yeah. yeah. Thrust, Thrust it 2. Thrust, thrust. One, one of them got the land speed record, and I think it was Thrust 2. I can't and... believe I'm doing this twice in two weeks. Yes. Considering I usually end up being the villain. Of this to, to a certain extent but if I was you I might fuck that idea off and go down the path Dan was speaking of talking about Dan has talked about rallies launch control active suspension porn porn <laughs> <laughs> launch porn <laughs> <laughs> 
that is niche. <laughs> <laughs> because it was too fast. Hang on. It's du- lights out and away they go. <laughs> Children, avert your eyes. <laughs> and it's now in a Dutch museum. <laughs> because it was too fast. I yeah. think there might be a future for me in Launchbourne. <laughs> 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 I can hear our listening figures drop from here. <laughs> um, but not as fast as Launchpool. <laughs> We've already done active suspension. Shall we just say launch control and move on? Yeah. We'll say launch control and move on. <laughs> I was meant to join a driver who, by, who, is mainly, uh, who is considered to be the greatest driver of all time. Considered by whom? Oh, come on. It's 93 was seven years before Jensen Button entered Formula One. (laughs) (laughs) It can't be by him. Well, 93 was when McLaren were testing different engines for their McLaren Formula One car. So, you know, before they eventually settled on, was 93, was it Ford? I think they went Ford. Yeah, could it could have been the failed Lamborghini engine. Oh, no, that wasn't... That but one. it wasn't killed for being too fast, was no, it? No, it was... Uh, it wasn't tested in Wales, it was tested in America. And who would reject an engine because, oh, it's it's too quick, we might win too many races. Yeah, it's too fast, yeah. McLaren these days because they don't know their ass from their elbow. Uh, in 1993, if we got, if we are talking Formula One, in 1993, Michael Schumacher was still driving for Benetton alongside Riccardo Patrese. And I thought what? you were going to start singing then. Did he, yeah? I was trying. I was I was making sure I had the right teammate. <laughs> Ma- Martin Brundle was his teammate before the year before that. I, I was I was waiting for us to go into a full on Disney musical number there. <laughs> now, I am I pulling this out of. My backside. Oh, or was the some kind of system? That... <laughs> no, stop it. Put your hand down. I'm down, Lee. No one needs your answer right now. <laughs> that watched the lights and helped the car launch, uh, like drop the clutch when the lights changed. Oh, that would be interesting. It, have I made this up or was that a real thing? Um, it's start assist on project cars. Was that? I don't, did that I don't, have a track debut in I, Wales? I, 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 mm, possibly. We've still got a couple more clues before we need to. Benetton give a... wouldn't have tested in Wales, would they? This is the thing. I'm, this is why I think we might not be looking at Formula One, which is means it's outside my realms of knowledge slightly. Um, should we go on to the next clue? Can do because I've just I've just, see, I've just seen him flick over to something else on his iPad and. <laughs> No, no, it was just it was, it was all it was all total shouldn't related. Stop it, googling launch porn. <laughs> it, it, if, googling it, I've just copyrighted it. If we go back to rally, then yeah, Group B was killed because it was too, too quick. fast. But, bef- but that was it was born the, way earlier than that. Yeah, <clears throat> but not, were the, not rally, not rally. Yeah. <laughs> and we've not been told it's not launch control of some kind. So. Uh, yeah, let's have, let's have another clue. I, I must specify the answer. I've no fucking idea. <laughs> uh, are we going to have to Google what it is when you tell us? No, I don't think so. Uh, my teammate. Oh, sorry. This is interesting. Yeah, Lee's broken, everyone. Hello. The teammate of the driver from Q7 is British. Questions. What was question seven? 
The greatest I was meant to join. Oh, the greatest driver of all time. So the team, the greatest driver of all time with a British teammate. Well, in 93, a lot of people consider either Ayrton Senna or Michael Schumacher to be the greatest driver of all time. Am I correct if you're saying that, if we're talking Formula Uh, One? Drivers in 93, I would say so, yeah. 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 Uh, Michael Schumacher's teammate, I've already said, was Ricardo Patrese in 93. Senna's teammate in 93 was Mika Hakkinen. Yeah. (laughs) Which... Doesn't help matters. In '94, Senna's teammate was Damon Hill. Um, unless, unless it's unless. Well, this... What exactly was the wording on question seven? The wording was. I think we're looking. Sorry, go on. I was meant to join a driver uh, who is by many considered the greatest driver of all times. Unless I think it's active suspension on the on the Williams. Unless, the... unless he means Alan, Alan Prost, whose teammate in 93 was Damon Hill. But if the technology was born but... in 93, then it could have been for the 94 car. Well, they had to, which they had to scrap. No, because not active, again, just re- re-correcting myself, active suspension was around before 93. Because the, the yeah. Mansell's championship winning car was 92 and that had active suspension. It's something from the Williams car, I think. And I don't know why it was tested in, on a track in Wales. That doesn't make any sense to me at all. Mm. To keep it secret. I don't know of any tracks in Wales where anybody would test anything. <laughs> That's because it's a secret one. Maybe back then it was just Wales. Yeah. They just used <laughs> Wales roads. <laughs> there was no internet to report the deaths. <laughs> Some of the early Aston Martins were tested you've ne- you've up and down the M1. You've never yeah. driven in Wales. There's still no internet. <laughs> <laughs> I think. Go on. Well, I was say, I think we're looking for a device that was on the on the Williams, which was supposed to be on the '94 Williams, which wasn't, which is why it was almost undrivable at the beginning of the '94 season. Mm. Which is why he's saying I was supposed to. I was supposed to join the the greatest driver of all time and his teammate is British that would link him with Senna and, and Hill yeah although in 94 Schumacher's teammate was many people Schumacher's teammate in 94 was JJ Leto Jos Verstappen and uh, Johnny Herbert. Herbert Herbert was 95 I think Um, I, I think we're on the right lines with something on the Williams yeah it's yeah. something that was on the Williams that was banned yeah next uh, next clue my ancestors were found in poorly powered cars from the 50s up to the 70s. Hmm. So I still think it's like a limited slip differential, something like that. An LSD, you might call it. Not the drug. No. Uh, yeah. But... but you wouldn't have them in poorly powered cars, would you? You have to. You shouldn't have them in poorly powered cars unless you thought you were going to break them because they were going too slow going up the hill. I'm. I'm going to be lenient on what your answer is here because the answer is quite specific, and I'm quite happy to take. The um, the key word of what the answer would be of what this is. Do we have another clue? You have ten. Poorly powered cars from the fifties to the seventies. Mm. Ones that weren't running Ford engines. 
Would you like your last clue? Yes, yeah, please. I think so. My constructors nowadays produce HGVs. Right, so in a Dutch museum, HGVs. So if it's Dutch and a HGV, the only thing I can think of is DAF. There's something about infinite ratios in there. I have another spaffer clue. I think we're going to need it. Half listen to flood. Slip differential. <laughs> or one and a half words. Un- unlimited slip differential. Ip differential. Or, just, Lim- or limited slur. Or just differentials in, in total. Or maybe not something less specific. Vague differentials. I mean, differen- differentials are still there on F1 cars. Yeah, they have to be. Yeah. 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 Um, maybe something less specific, like, I don't know, a component of a car. Engine? Oh, fuck knows. Gearbox. Um, Some kind of automatic gearbox. Fully <laughs> automatic gearbox? Uh, I'm thinking um, CVT, the ones where you've got an infinite number of gears. Oh, the the, um, the centrifugal gearboxes that ran on the belt. Were they used in, in, in Formula One? Possibly not, because they were too yeah. fast. Auto transmission was used in Formula One for a while. I think we're kind of close, but I've got a feeling we're not going to get this. I think, didn't Volvo not build the the, 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 the gearboxes for the Formula One cars? Oh, they might have done, and they make trucks as well. They did make trucks, they also make cars. I want to say auto gearbox. I, I think he's... The, the amount of times you've wandered really close to this and then ran away in the opposite <laughs> direction is quite amazing. <laughs> it could be so many different things. That's the thing. It could be rear axle, uh, prop shafts, sing, single propelled prop shafts. Sometimes Confucius, Confucius, just listen to the quiet one. <laughs> Dan? <laughs> listen to Dan? <laughs> Launch pub. Are you launch pub? <laughs> <laughs> right, so... Oh, wait, manual. Quiet one. Manual. <laughs> um, Anyone would think... Remember how I said that it was quite a specific answer? Yeah. Anyone would think that Dan might have said it? Is it CVT? It is. <laughs> <laughs> With absolutely no help whatsoever. <laughs> I knew it all along. Cent- right from the first question. <laughs> that's the centrifugal gearbox, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. That's the most difficult one I think you've had ever. I think yeah, so. I think that, so. That and last week's are the two. But we like ones. them. They're, they're, oh, yeah. they're the right ones. Yes. I, th- I think they should be the, the the, the, the standard going forth for, for that D- difficult, but not 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 too obscure. Not well, that's pretty obscure. It, it's pretty <laughs> obscure, but we're not talking like drivers who raced one Grand Prix in the nineteen twenties. No, that's yeah. true. For that, that person gets an LH forty four Lotus biscuit. <laughs> <laughs> Just wrote on that, <laughs> like like he's bothered. Uh, um, so, was, who was that from again, Lee? Eric Clarkson. Clarkson. <laughs> Eric Clarkman. 
Clark, Eric Clarkman. Thank you, Eric. Thank you, Eric. No, that's Lee. Um, so yeah. if you, if you, yeah, we want to do ASMR. <laughs> <laughs> so you don't need another podcast, Lee. <laughs> if you want to send in a total shunt, you can do that by tweeting a direct message to me at a total shunt and on you, Twitter, and you yeah. can get in touch with uh, the rest of the show on Twitter by at three legs four wheels or at Dan Dankleton at Flood Twenty One and at Pablo One Hundred. Um, you can find us on Facebook, facebookcom slash three legs four wheels. And Come and give the page a like. We give need the page more a like. likes. And keep leaving the reviews on iTunes. Mm. Um, we've got we've got lots, but hey, we want more. Yeah. Um, thank you, thank you to everyone that's left um, left a review or given us a rating. And uh, if you want to hear more of us, Lee's got about ninety seven thousand other podcasts. Yeah. Every hour on the Musty Audio Podcast Network. Yeah. In fact, there's a brand new one actually. For, only because things saying this around about Christmas time, things can get a bit funny with people, and there's kind of a um, one for men, like a, a, pa- a parenting one. Well, if you've had a had a child lately and you fit, find it a bit fucking weird, then search like for Dave Dad. Daddario. Like yeah. Dave Daddario. Congra- congratulations, congratulations to Dave and Mrs. Daddario on the birth of Jensen. Yes. But yeah, search for Dad on Arrival and uh, maybe other people have had some of the things that you're thinking at the minute. And of course, we've got the other show as well for our wonderful Patreon subscribers. Um, that's an extra half hour or so of non-F1 content from us every week. You can find that by subscribing from as little as $1 a month on patreon.com slash three legs, four wheels. And we try to talk about anything that's not Formula One or politics. Yes. Yes. Which at the moment where we live is very difficult. It's very <laughs> massively difficult. <laughs> Let's see how that goes because we're going to record it now. Um, thanks again to Craig Scarborough for joining us this week. Legend. And uh, we'll be back next week and shall we try and get another guest? Let's give it a, let's give have it a go. go. Let's let, let's have a go. Uh, right, I'm off. Uh, I'm off to go see Def Leppard. All right, and bye. So we'll see you next week. Bye bye.